Okay, as we turn to our scripture, we are going to enter into the Gospel of John, and the lectionary gives us several weeks um, to think about a a story of miraculous feeding as it's found in the Gospel of John. All of the Gospels have a story of Jesus feeding the 4,000 or the 5,000, but this is John's telling of that story. So that has already happened. The crowd has gathered, and Jesus has... um, And his disciples have found a young boy who has some loaves and some fishes, and they have fed 5,000 people. In the night, they have left on a boat. The disciples have left the crowd behind, and um, Jesus, for some reason, is is hanging out. And as they're going across the Sea of Galilee, they find Jesus walking across the water. So they've experienced that too. They're now all on the other side. The crowd wakes up in the morning and goes, where's Jesus? Jesus. And so they track him down. And this morning's scripture picks up in that moment. I'm reading from John, chapter 6, verses 24 to 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. For it is on him that God the parent has set their seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my parent who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to him, to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy Christ, you are the bread of life. We come to you hungry and thirsty, knowing that in you we will find all that we need. Amen. One of my preaching professors, a big influence on me, the Reverend Dr. J. Alfred Smith Sr., pastor emeritus at Allen Temple Baptist Church in Oakland. Dr. Smith says that the work of the preacher is to find a word of grace at the intersection of scripture and the life we live today. 
In every encounter with scripture, we take the ancient but timeless story and the life we are living, and we look for where they converge. And we look to find there a living word for today. Dr. Smith says that this journey can take different paths. Sometimes, he says, the preacher starts out on the east-west road of scripture until she comes to the place that it intersects with the north-south road of experience. Sometimes, the preacher starts out on that north-south road of experience until they come to the place that it intersects with the east-west road of scripture, always looking for a word at that intersection. Over the past couple weeks, I have been traveling the north-south road of Interstate 5, so this morning, I thought I would start there. On July 12th, Jeff and I, after his last Zoom meeting in the morning, we loaded up our car and we headed out on vacation. We took a left turn just before Sacramento and journeyed north on I-5 through Redding onto Ashland and then onto Portland to visit friends there and then onto Seattle and then back home again. This is an exaggeration but it had been a while since I'd been out of the house. For a year and a half of pandemic, my life has been lived here at home in Marin County and on our family compound on Tamarindo Drive in Florida. This was my first time out in a long while on an old school road trip. And I found that things have changed. The world has adapted for pandemic. At roadside hotels, you don't find breakfast bars anymore, just paper bag breakfast that you can pick up in the lobby. Things are structured so that face-to-face -face human contact is limited only to that which is necessary. You don't go to the front desk ever except to check in, even at the most basic hotel, you phone and things magically appear at your door, usually in plastic wrap. Fewer and fewer Restaurants hand out menus. They have those QR codes at the table, and now I start to feel like old man Clark. You know, they're those little boxy things, and you just take your phone, and you turn your camera on, and you point it at it. You don't even have to click anything, and all of a sudden, the menu appears on your phone. It's amazing. I don't usually eat fast food, except when I'm on a road trip, so I was amazed to find out that McDonald's now has kiosks. You don't talk to anyone there. You order by pressing buttons, and you go to your table, and your meal appears. And of course, every place you enter, you have to figure out what the masking protocol is. Beyond pandemic, there are signs of climate emergency everywhere. Lake Shasta looks more like a pond. Mount Shasta has almost no snow on it. No, none on the south face that you see driving north, and when we returned, there's just a little bit on the north face. When we arrived in Ashland, we couldn't smell smoke, but our eyes burned 
from the not too far off bootleg fire, so much of the West Coast dry and brittle. Further north, we were able to spend some time along some streams and at the Oregon coast. We stayed on the shore of Lake Washington, but in these days of drought, being so near to water feels almost surreal. What hasn't changed? What hasn't changed is that on that road trip, we experienced the hospitality of strangers and of friends spending time with some of our very best friends who have moved to Portland and with some of Jeff's friends from his time at Sonoma State who are settling into their new life in the, on the Olympic Peninsula, welcomed in, and then off to the next destination, welcomed in, and back on the road again. We often talk of our life of faith using the metaphor of journey, a going out and a coming home, a gathering and ascending. We do that explicitly in worship. We gather, experience the living word of Christ together, and then we're sent into the life and the week, trusting that in seven days we will gather back again a rhythm of coming and going, of gathering and going out and gathering again. We enter into that rhythm in this morning's scripture. The disciples and the crowd are on the road with Jesus. They've gathered together, and Jesus has performed some healing miracles. Jesus moves on, and the crowd follows him. Jesus and the disciples cross to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, which is really a large lake, and the crowd follows them, and the disciples see the crowd gathering, and Jesus wonders, where will we buy bread enough for all these people? And the disciples find a boy with five loaves and two fish, and Jesus hands all that out, and then he tells the disciples to pick up what's left and keep feeding, and everyone gets fed, all 5,000 of them. Then Jesus and the disciples set out again in the night. The disciples go ahead of Jesus in a boat, and Jesus catches up to them walking on the water, assuring them, it is I, don't be afraid. And they arrive on the far shore in this morning's scripture, and the crowd wakes up, goes, where did Jesus go? And they all get into boats and track them down and gather again all these miraculous signs, this gathering and moving on and gathering and moving on, and we have this exchange. The crowd says, Jesus, how did you get here? And Jesus responds, come on. You're not looking for me because of miraculous signs. You're looking for me because you ate some good bread yesterday and you had your fill. They're here for what they think is an inexhaustible supply of food. And then Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that lasts through eternal life, the food from the one God has sent. And they ask, what must we do to do the work that God requires? You see, they're, they're really not catching on to what's going on, but Jesus keeps trying in response to their off-target questions. Jesus says two important things. The first thing, the work of God is to believe into the one God has sent. 
Now, I know that you've heard me say this before and probably Joanne before me. When we come to this word believe in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of John, we're not talking about believe in the sense of signing off on certain propositions. It's not a checklist. I believe in this and this and this and this and this. When we're talking about the Greek word here, pisteo, we're talking about trust. And here in John, we're talking about trusting into. There's a very specific preposition that comes with that trust. The work of God is to trust into the one God has sent. One writer puts it like this, trusting into, believing into is a commitment that involves the total person following Jesus into thinking and doing and fulfilling the will, for, the will of God as a steward, a caretaker of creation. I did a quick scan to find what, to see what writers have to say about trust, and I was surprised at the number of writers who chime in across all sorts of disciplines, theology and psychology and business, how to build trust in your organization. Here is what I gleaned, some common themes. Trust begins by standing before another in a position of honesty and integrity. Trying, hoping that we can both be who we say we are. Trust involves being vulnerable to the other and to our lack of control. Brene Brown says it like this, trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of something or someone else. Then, trust involves courage. The courage to step forward, to do something, to risk something, and then to give to the other person the opportunity to be who they say they are to give them a chance to be authentic and courageous and loving too, and hopefully they rise to the occasion, and they do, and then you take that experience, that experience of being vulnerable and courageous and receiving each other's authenticity together, and you add that in to how you understand and love the world, and then you try it again. We act in vulnerability and courage in the midst of the unknown, we experience authenticity and we build trust. The best I can come up with for an image of this is a simple one. It's so simple I wasn't even sure I would share it, but I think of learning how to jump into a swimming pool. I think of a young child standing on the edge of the pool, their parent is in the pool encouraging them to jump, don't worry, I'll catch you, and the kid is like, no way, are you out of your mind? The ground here, the side of this pool, this feels safe. But then they give it a try, and they take a step, a leap, really, into the unknown, splashing into the pool and being caught by a parent just like they said they would. And then they trust the parent to do that again 
and again, and then they trust that parent to walk alongside them in the pool as they flounder around, learning to float and to tread water and to kick, and one day, one day, they find themselves swimming. Now with humans, that's tricky. We trust others to be who they say they are, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes we're not, and we learn from that. But with God, well, that's why Jesus says this second important thing. The disciples may look like they're tracking, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. But then they say, after Jesus says all this, and keep in mind, after all they've experienced up to this point, Jesus says this, and they say, so... What sign will you show us that we may see and believe? This crowd that has just seen Jesus heal the sick, that has just watched Jesus feed 5,000, the taste of bread still in their mouths, the disciples just saw him walk on water, and after all that, the crowd now says, okay, so what miraculous sign are you going to do so that we'll believe as if they hadn't already seen signs enough? I am just glad that Jesus didn't give up on us right there and then. Instead, Jesus says, you're still thinking about that bread you ate yesterday. You're talking about Moses and the manna, and I am talking about the bread that God gives, the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread that gives life to the world. So they say, yes, Yes, give us that bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. I am, I am, I am the one whom God has sent. I am the one who gives life to the world. I am the one who will always sustain you. I am the one who will catch you when you jump into the pool. The work of God is to believe, to trust into the one God has sent. Jesus says, I am that one. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes into me will never thirst. Trust in that. Trust in me. In the rhythm of all our coming and going, in our gathering and going out and gathering again, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I will always welcome you in. Trust into me. While we were on this road trip, I did a fairly good job of staying away from email, mostly, and mostly from the news. But we did keep up with the news of the pandemic, of the Delta variant, watching the changing responses across the nation, the vaccine denial, the return of masking indoors. Back when we started out on this journey, we grabbed onto the phrase here, moving forward together. And it has served us well. What I liked about it and still like about it is that it is distinct from going back or from standing still we are moving forward together. 
I think collectively, here and globally, we've also thought that we are heading to a specific destination, a day when pandemic is entirely behind us. Now, I don't know about you, but in the days where the end, whatever that may mean, seems more and more elusive. As we are on this road trip through pandemic, I hear this voice from the back seat of my head saying, are we almost there yet? How much longer? God, when will you show us a miraculous sign? And heading back down on I-5, I had this realization. When the people of God were wandering through that wilderness way back when, maybe, maybe the promised land wasn't the point. Maybe the promised land the destination wasn't the main thing. Maybe the point, maybe the main thing was the rhythm and the life-giving blessing of moving forward together with God and with each other one step and then the next, one day's journey, and then the next, each new day finding manna in the morning and water from the rock. Maybe the main point was that rhythm the blessing of living into a life of trust and love, living and trusting into God together. Jesus says to the crowd, the work of God is believing into, trusting into the one God has sent, and then Jesus says, I am that one. Whenever you venture out, I will always be there to welcome you in. Every day, at every stage in your journey, I will welcome you in, and we will move forward together. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever trusts into me will never hunger. Whoever comes to me will never thirst. That's the miraculous sign, this relational rhythm of welcome and trusting into Jesus is the way we find our way to life. Amid all our comings and goings, in our gathering and going out and gathering again, we live into this rhythm every time we gather at this table and live out these words. This is my body. I am the bread of life. This is my life poured into you. Friends, moving forward together on this journey, let's gather again at this table and experience again together the real presence of Christ.